So I realized, uh, going back and editing the uh, the first episode, that we never did a full intro for this, and never once was my name spoken. So, <laughs> welcome to the Sad Boys Book Club. My name is Dusty. And my name is Daniel. And uh, this is uh, episode two of the Sad Boys Book Club, where we will continue our conversations about the House of Leaves. Uh, I did... And I think you did too. Uh, mm-hmm. What? Uh, I I I am prepared for episode one now, so to say. I'm sorry. What? <laughs> I, I I couldn't hear you there for a second. I I I'm I am now prepared. Uh, I have read the material required for episode one. <laughs> yes, yes, that was. We are now at where we wanted to uh, have read for episode one. Yes, that is. Uh, the very beginning of chapter nine. Yes. Page one oh seven. Yeah, but before we go get go too too deep into that, I wanted to talk to you about this and I have been sitting on this for like four days and I've been <laughs> wanting to talk to you about it, but I'm like, I gotta save it for the podcast because it's you know, I just gotta, I just gotta save it for the podcast. Uh, and I already kinda hinted this to you the other day. Um so uh and I've talked to you more or less a little bit about some of this in the past week. Uh so I've been wanting to get back into my own personal writings and get back into yes. a nice, like kind of writing habit because, you know, writing is just a really healthy and uh, creative hobby to kind of get into the habit of, even if you're not doing it professionally, uh, you know, it's, it's Definitely. great. Yeah. It's great for like your brain and your, uh, your brain, your, your brain's health and your own mental health and all that other good stuff. So I want to yeah, get back writing, into it. I was, oh yeah. I was just going to say writing, you know, writing is thinking. Um, it's just thinking long hand you know you're it, it, it you know you improve your your you can see by my stammering <laughs> that i have not been writing in a while and i think that's kind of a, a thing that you know at least for me when, when i when i'm in a more practice of writing you know i i get better at communicating thoughts because it just it just it's just like kind of like an exercise that allows me to order my thoughts in a more uh meaningful way i would say yeah so, um, what I've been doing to try and... I haven't actually started writing again yet. I actually want to get back to that today. I wanted to last night, but I got too tired. Um, but what I've been doing to uh, kind of get myself back into that motivated uh, writing state is I've been listening to a lot of lectures and um, uh, just general videos of Brandon Sanderson. Hmm. And uh, I've been... I, I, I purchased Elantris and the Final Empire uh, a couple years ago. And they've been sitting on my bookshelf because I was like, oh, I want to read Brandon Sanderson. I want to give him a try because I've always heard good, great things about him. And I had started The Wheel of Time and I know that he finished the, the series for Robert Jordan after he died. And so I always wanted to give him a try, but I, I, I kept like kind of putting it off as like a I, before I read Elantris because I, I I wanted to start with Elantris because it's his first book and I don't care what anybody including him uh, what they say uh, I'm gonna start with his first book published uh, which would be Elantris so I was putting it off for like years for I guess years now uh, because I wanted to read other things first I wanted to you know finish the first book of the Wheel of Time which I haven't yet uh, I wanted to start reading uh, the Eisenhorn trilogy for uh, Warhammer 40k, which I haven't done yet. Uh, but I had like these lists of books I wanted to go through. I wanted to finish Dune, among other things. Um, so this last week, I decided, fuck it. 
and I started reading Elantris. And it's really good. I love it. That's really cool. Uh, That's the the Mistborn trilogy, right? No, uh, Elantris is... uh, So, like, all of his... Not not all of his books, but, like, his main (laughs) fantasy books, all of his main fantasy books, are all collected into the same universe known as the Cosmere. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's 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 like the backdrop for all of the books, but like each of the series, each of the individual series, and I think the standalones are separate as well. All take place on a different planet inside of the Cosmere universe. Mm-hmm. Uh, so Elantris is a standalone book, though I've heard that he is planning sequels for it in the future. Uh, so it, it's a standalone book, and then Mistborn, the uh, the, the original Mistborn trilogy. And then Mistborn Era 2, which is four books, are all on the same planet. And then, like, the Stormlight Archive series is on its own planet. That's, like, his big, 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 big series. That's supposed to be ten books long. <laughs> Number five comes out next year. Wow. Uh, then there's, like, standalones like Elantris, which is on its own world. And then I think Warbreaker is on its own world. And then there's, like, short stories. And I, I, don't, I don't know too much. I'm very, very new to this. Um, but yeah, I, I've been listening to a lot of his lectures and him talking to fans and talking about writing, and it's 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 really helped me personally, like try and get an idea of like how I want to go back to writing and what I want to do because he is very he's very easy to listen to because he's he's very he 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 doesn't have that air of like arrogance or elitism or like you know like I'm a famous person so I have this gravity over me that makes me feel like I'm better than you like you know what I mean? Yeah. He doesn't. Yeah, I, he, I've I've seen videos, uh, you know, maybe not as many as you, but I've seen like a couple, you know, over the years. And he he, he does kind of strike you as more, you know, very very down to earth, pretty normal guy. Yeah. So he's like very easy to listen to because of that, and he also is like really really knowledgeable, despite the fact that he may not think he is as much, because you know he's a professional author. He's been doing this for twenty years now, and you know he knows what he's talking about. So. There's a lot of really good information there, even if you're not wanting to write sci-fi or fantasy. I think a lot of it translates over. Like, obviously, maybe not the stuff talking about magic systems, but a lot of the general writing does transfer over to even if you want to write, like, romance or action-adventure or thriller or horror or whatever. So, yeah, that's that's kind of gotten me back into an idea of wanting to start writing again, which you and I have talked about as well, uh, separately. So yeah, I, uh, to, to round it off, I started reading Elantris, and it's it's fantastic. I love it. Um, I am on chapter five right now, which I think is somewhere in the ballpark of like page fifty, and it's pretty wow. cool. And I'm I'm looking forward to to getting more into it uh, as as I go. But yeah, that's what I've been reading outside of House of Leaves this last week. That's pretty cool. Um, I've I've not really done like too much. Uh, reading of of like uh, outside of um, House of Leaves, I haven't uh, physically read too much. Um, I have listened to a little bit of uh, A Time of Contempt in the uh, the Witcher series by um, Andrei Sapkowski. Yes, uh, I've been really 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 enjoying that. Um, I I started that I guess last late late last year I think. Um, I'd actually never played or read or watched any of the Witcher movies, games, uh, TV shows, what have you. <clears throat> but uh, I, I, I don't know. It, it was it went on sale because of the the, the new uh, remaster for the next gen. So I went. I was like, eh, what the heck? I've heard good things about it. So I start playing it. 
and immediately 100% into it, um, which is interesting because oftentimes I'm not always the biggest uh, fantasy guy, at least historically. I, I can be pretty picky about what in the fantasy genre I like and what I don't like. Um, but I don't know, for whatever reason, it, it really just, it just, it just clicked with me. And so I got, I went through, um, and I got, I, I got the audiobooks and I've, I've gotten through the first, let's see. So the, the last wish is the first, I guess, canonically the first, uh, collection of, of, that's a collection of short stories. Then it's uh sort of destiny then it's blood of elves and then it's a time of contempt. Uh, so yeah, I'm, I'm, I guess that's, that makes me, I'm about two thirds of the way through the fourth book at now and in, in a little over, let's see about, all right. looks like two weeks. Wow. It's uh, really tearing through it. Yeah. Um, which I'm glad you brought up the, the Witcher series. Cause that, that does actually give me a great segue into something else I wanted to talk about. Um, so I've gone through the entire Witcher series twice now. Uh, <laughs> the second time was, uh, like November, I think November of this last year. Uh, the mm-hmm. first, the first time was like three or four years ago. Uh, it was like 2019, I think. Uh, and uh, those I love those books. They're some of my favorite fantasy ser- series of books like ever. Uh, they're great. I love the Witcher series. I love the characters and all that. Um, but how I absorbed them, if you notice, I said I read them in the last three or four years. And you might be thinking, wait a minute, I thought you said you only read like three books in the last couple of years. Um, mm-hmm. So something I realized that uh, I didn't really mention when I was talking about how my, my lack of reading in the last decade was that I do a lot of my novel absorption in recent times through audiobooks. And uh, I don't know. I know I know you and I might kind of have like minor disagreements on like the nuance of this, but I don't personally consider listening to an audiobook the same as reading a book. Uh, like I don't consider it reading. Like I feel like that should be a very kind of like obvious thing to say because you're not reading, you're listening. I don't think it... Like, they're both different means of consuming the same medium. So, like, I don't think that, like, you know, reading a book is inherently better than listening to an audiobook and vice versa. It's just kind of a what works for you kind of thing. Because, like, I have a friend who's dyslexic, and I imagine audiobooks are much easier for him because reading is a, a much harder thing to do if you're dyslexic than it is if you're not, obviously. Um, but, yeah, I've listened to an insane amount of audiobooks in the last five years or so because you know it's super convenient i can do it i can listen to them while i work because uh, i've had the luxury of the last couple of jobs i've had they've allowed me to use like headphones and shit so i can like listen to music or uh youtube videos or audiobooks while i work so i it's allowed me to just blitz through so many things like i've, I've listened to the stand which was amazing i've listened to it which was amazing a lot wow. of stephen king like you know i, I love stephen king those they're like those are like forty out. Those would probably be like forty hours, right? Each? Yeah, for me that's one work week. Well, a little more than, but uh, two work weeks really, I guess. Yeah, I, I've listened to the Witcher books, all of them twice. Uh, only only season of Storms once though. Um, yeah, like you know, I, I don't need to go through every single book. A lot of World of Warcraft books because I'm a nerd. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, I, I've gone through a lot of books on Audible, uh, and it's it's. I do consider that as a means to consume novels 
Like, I do think it counts as... I don't think you're any less of a uh, an enjoyer of, of novels or books or whatever for listening to audiobooks instead. But I do consider it personally to be different than having read a book because, you know, using your ears and using your eyes are two completely different things. But, yeah. Do you want to do you want to chime I, I in on, it, on on audiobooks for yourself? Um yeah, pretty I mean similar. I feel pretty similarly in terms of like that. I've really, you know, I've had a lot of uh I've I've listened to more audiobooks uh in the last several years than I've listened to or or than I've read uh physical books. Um I don't know. I'm I'm a little bit more as far as what it means to read I guess I guess I can I can understand from a mechanical standpoint it's different you know you're encode though the means that the information is encoded into your brain um, is like the, your 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 eyes are uh, like interpreting symbols versus ears interpreting sounds but I think I don't know I mean as long as that information is still more or less being encoded I'm I'm kind of like I'm I'm pretty I'm pretty lax. I, I I don't really care if it, how if someone's like, oh well, I read it, but they're referring to listening to an audiobook. Not saying that you're like like a, like super strict about that necessarily. I'm just saying like just just in general, it, it I'm I'm pretty um, laissez-faire about how about how uh, whether it or not it is reading. Although I do kind of hew a little bit closer to your your idea that um, it, it mechanically is different enough. That I don't necessarily consider it the same activity, but I, I I'm not really gonna fight somebody on, you know, whether or not it is. I think at the end of the day, it what really matters is probably how it's stored in your brain. I guess if that makes sense. Um, and I don't really know a lot about the neuroscience of how that works, so I'm just like I'm I'm, I'm happy to just kind of be like, okay, whatever, whatever works for for you, you know. Yeah, I can only talk to personal experience, but I personally feel like if I physically read the book, I I feel like it it is stored in my memory a little better than if I listen to it a book. That's just my per I don't have any scientific evidence to back this up. This is purely anecdotal based on what I feel like it is, not what I actually know it is. But I feel like it might be different I, from person to person too. Yeah, it could cuz like for me, uh, and I think part of it is because a lot of the times when I listen to audiobooks, it's when I'm like driving or when I'm actually working. So I am <laughs> multitasking in a sense. So maybe I'm not quite absorbing the information the same way I would if I was like staring at the text on the page and like trying to like like making an actual effort to to read it, like using my full mental capacity to focus on the book. <laughs> um, that that that's. That's true. I think it, it, part of it also, it, it, it's not even necessarily just the mechanics themselves. It's like how much focus you're giving some, something because... Yeah, exactly. I, I think, uh, I think I, I've done similar things where I'll like have it going, you know, as well. I'm like commuting or running errands or something, something like that. And uh, obviously I'm paying more attention to like, okay, the, the road and stuff, but I'm still following the thread of the book. I guess that's probably not the same as, you know, I'm sitting down. If I were to sit down and listen to the audiobook while I'm, I don't know, I'm just sitting in, and more, my entire focus is on that. Yeah, there's a, this is a, a, a bit of an aside, but kind of like to what you just said. Uh, a long time ago, this would have been 
2015 or 2016. I remember there was a day, uh, it was one of my days off uh, from work, and I had the audiobook for Jurassic Park. And there was an entire day where I woke up and I just really wasn't feeling like getting out of bed. So I, I, I flipped on audio, audio, uh, audible on my computer. And I just listened to Jurassic Park for the entire day. I think I had like seven or eight hours left in the audiobook, and I didn't get out of bed that entire day. And I finished that audiobook, and that was that was fantastic. <laughs> it was a very the like lazy day. For, the audiobook for Jurassic Park is really really good. Uh, that's that's one that I've done over the last uh, four. I think I think it was about four years ago I did that, and it was it was phenomenal. Yeah, I. Don't I, know, I I, this may be um, heresy for our age group. I, I I was always just kind of like okay on Jurassic Park. It was never like, oh, I love this movie. I, I it's not to say I have a negative opinion on, it, but it was just, it was just like okay, yeah, it was pretty good. I liked it. But uh, the the to me the audiobook was, and I probably guess by proxy the book, was was a lot. Uh, I, I found a lot more interesting. Yeah, uh, I'm of the opinion that uh, I, I love Jurassic Park, the movie. Like it, it's definitely up there for me in terms of like Spielberg movies. Uh, if I had to pick a... This isn't a movie talk, but if I had to pick a favorite Spielberg movie, it might be Raiders of the Lost Ark. Uh, but yeah, Jurassic Park's definitely up there for me uh, in terms of like Spielberg films. Uh, but like I, when I was going into the audiobook, uh, my, my thought process was like, I imagine this is going to be a very good book because I've heard so many good things about it and I know how revered Michael Crichton is as an author. I've only ever listened to the audiobook of the first Jurassic Park, so I haven't read anything else of his work, but I know he's considered to be like a really, really phenomenal author, which I'd love to get into <laughs> more Crichton in the future if I if I ever have the opportunity or the time, really. Uh, so yeah. my, my going into it, I, I figured that I would like the book, but I wasn't entirely sure how I'd feel about it compared to the movie. Cause I was kind of going into it with the, uh, the bias of having seen the movie many times first, kind of like with like, uh, I don't want to say this, but like, kind of like with like Lord of the Rings, where if you watch the movies first, then you read the books, you might find the books kind of boring comparatively, especially fellowship because fellowship mm -hmm. has a lot more tacked on. Or, let me put it this way. I don't. I don't want to make it sound like the. Okay. Let me let me put it this way. Um, there is a lot of stuff before Rivendell that is taken out of the of the books uh, for the movie. Like in the movie, the movie cuts out a lot of the first half of Fellowship of the Ring because the first half of Fellowship of the Ring is purely them heading to Rivendell. And, uh, like, it takes out the bit where Frodo holds onto the ring until he's 50 because his thought process is um, Bilbo went on his adventure in The Hobbit when he was 50, so I'm going to wait until I'm 50 to head out on my own adventure. And when Bilbo gives Frodo the ring on his 111th birthday, I think Frodo's like, oh, I want to say he's in his 20s. He might be in his early 30s. What? <laughs> yeah, he holds onto the ring for like all, for, like, 20 years or more. Uh, before, okay. before I'm just the I'm gonna I'm gonna make I'm gonna beef with the Tolkienites right now. That is so whack. That is so that is such a whack plot point. <laughs> that I, is, it that, does that just that's silly. It does make sense when you're reading the book. I, I'm not I'm not giving it the full context, so you you're only getting like as an abridged of an abridged version of it. Uh, but 
Yeah, so so when he leaves the when he leaves the Shire, really the movie doesn't cut out too much. It's mostly it, it just basically cuts out Frodo being like, I'm gonna sit on this for a while and then I'm gonna leave. And then he leaves. Uh it's not as um crazy as you'd think. But after they leave and they meet up with Merry and Pippin and they're heading to Rivendell and all that other fun stuff. Uh actually before they meet up with Merry and Pippin, uh there's a whole little bit where Frodo and Sam are hanging out with this this man called Tom Bombadil. And uh, he's this really weird, uh, strange anomaly of a person that we never really get a lot of context on in terms of like who he is and what he uh, what he can do, like his capabilities are, because he puts the ring on his pinky finger and nothing happens. And it's like this 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 really kind of amazing moment for the readers and for Frodo and Sam, because it's just like, oh, he put the ring on. And he didn't turn invisible. And it's already been established at this point. That's what it does. Uh, so you, you kind of get this idea that he's a lot more powerful than you, than he like gives off. Uh, but it, it, it amounts to nothing really in terms of like the grand scheme of the novel, other than this is this character and he is more powerful than you think, but you'll never see him again. Uh, <laughs> doesn't know. he like sing a song too? I, I feel like I've, I've, I've heard like he like sings some sort of weird, Oh, I'm Tom Bombadil, you know, some kind of weird song yeah. like that he sings his own theme song yes but there there are a lot of songs in the lord of the rings a lot more than the the movies would uh, allow you to think but uh well, that, that kind of makes sense you know that, that that uh sort of like medieval culture of like folk songs and that that, I, that, that makes sense the... yeah uh but yeah anyways when when they're heading to rivendell they meet up with mary and pippin uh they go through this area called the barrow downs and it's this whole it's it's like a dark evil foresty kind of place and they get mm-hmm. captured by creatures and that's where they find uh their weaponry it, like you know in the movie i think it's like aragorn gives them swords uh until mm-hmm. frodo gets sting from bilbo and rivendell uh but no in the in the books it's they get their weapons in the barrow downs they find like this essentially treasure trove of fallen warriors and they find a bunch of weapons that'll that'll suit them and i think for like mary and pippin that's the that, those are the weapons they take throughout the rest of the trilogy I'm, I could be wrong on that. It's been a long time. Uh, but to, to, to make a long story short, there's a lot of stuff, especially in Fellowship, that gets cut out from... Uh, this was this was about Jurassic Park, by the way. This is how this started. <laughs> this whole story is about uh, Jurassic Park. Uh, <laughs> so there's a whole lot of stuff that they cut from Fellowship, from the book. And I personally think it makes the movie better because this this stuff would have dragged the movie down substantially because it's it's just i personally find the barrow downs tedious uh when i'm reading through fellowship i love fellowship i I love the i love all three books the books are amazing but um i find the first half of fellowship in between them leaving the shire and then making it to rivendell kind of a bit tedious at times personally i know that might be heretical to say for a lot of tolkien fans but i just don't much care for the time in between the shire and riverdell and the fellowship book uh, everything else is great, but like that, I just it's it's a little rough for me. But to get this back to to my main point for Jurassic Park, you know, I understand that you know there were probably going to be more things in the book that weren't in the movie because that's just how adaptations work. But man, I was not expecting to like the book so much more than the movie. Like it was, it was a, it was an experience. There's the aviary in the book, which they kind of bring back around in Jurassic Park three, the movie. But uh, mm-hmm. how they did it in the book was fantastic. And then there's the whole sequence, which is basically the entire plot line for Grant and the kids, where they're being stalked by the T-Rex like the entire time. 
Right. And that was just amazing. You know, there's the part where they go to the, they get to the lake and they see the T-Rex sleeping and they have to like, they have, they have to take the boat and sneak it out into the ocean or not the ocean, but the lake and get the, uh, <laughs> get, get away from the T-Rex before it gets to them. And that's a really tense scene and that's really cool. And that, that's what ends up leading to the aviary. Uh, then there's the whole sequence with the velociraptors in the, uh, what was the building called? Uh, in the building, in the movie, it's, it's the kids hiding from the raptors and locking one in the freezer. In the book, it's, it's Grant essentially doing a 1v3 against the raptors and him just systematically killing all three raptors. And it's, it's so cool. I was like, oh my God, this is amazing. Why was this not in the movie? Probably would probably I bet they thought to put it in the movie, but it was probably just a really tough to get it to film. They probably had a hard time getting the, um, you know, like the the CGI. Not that the, it wasn't an achievement for CGI at the time, but I'm sure that there was like they had to be strategic about how and when to deploy their resources. You know. Yeah. And so I, I guess it's it's probably they probably. I don't know. Spielberg is a very canny director in that whenever he, he comes to um, like limitations or like like the famous story about how Jaws, the, the, they could never get the shark to really work. So what they, 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 they were very strategic, at least because it was a mechanical thing. It was not you know CGI really. So they had to be very strategic about how and where it was deployed. You know, and I imagine it was something similar. And I think also the, the, the movie is a little bit more oriented towards the kids, you know? Yeah. I think that's, 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 um, that's a, a reason. Maybe that's a reason why I, I prefer the book, uh, to the, to the, um, movie. I, I, you know, I, this is just like a personal thing. I've, I don't, I'm, I've never been like super into, um, like stories, about kids, even even when I was a kid, I didn't want the protagonist to be a kid. I I wanted it to be an adult, you know. Yeah. And so I've never, for whatever reason, it just doesn't. It's not that I dislike them. It's just that I I don't connect with them as readily as as like a, the as, as like a the story told a different way. And I think that's probably one of the reasons why I think I like that better. Also, yeah. the book, the book. Um, it is missing some some pretty significant big moments like the, I mean, the Unix system comment. <laughs> I was I was gonna go into that. Uh, I was gonna say I much prefer in the book how it's um, I forgot their names, the kids' names. Uh, Tim, I think, is the kid, the the boy. Um, uh, if I remember correctly, in the book, uh, their ages are actually swapped, where Tim is the older sibling, not the younger sibling, <laughs> and Tim is the one on the computer in the book. And in the book, he's just he's just frantically just trying everything. He's like, I, I don't know, I have a computer at home, so maybe I'll be able to figure this out. And then he's just clicking buttons and just trying to trying to get something to work. And then finally, something works. It's just one of those, uh, not not quite like an ass pull kind of thing, but it's 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 it's. A, I feel like it's much more realistic than it's a Unix system. I know this, and then suddenly you have this <laughs> this eleven year old girl hacking into a uh, a theme park mainframe, and 
doing everything that just needs to be done in order to for the heroes to triumph over the the dinosaurs. Like it's it's great in the movie. Like, it's stupid, but it's great. But I feel Her like name is Lex. I I, I couldn't Thank I couldn't you. remember, but yeah, it's Lex. Thank you. Uh, but yeah, that is uh, I I much prefer the books version of just a, a child frantically slamming his hands on the keyboard and then it, this 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 is it, they're also kind of it's it's kind of stupid both ways let's let's be real it's a little kid somehow figuring out a security system and uh that 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 dennis nedry who was supposed to be a uh, a programming genius locked everyone out of you have this kid going like ah oh, i don't know what i'm doing and then it works uh which I, I don't know i mean i've we i've had users um find very astonishing ways to break like the programs and reports that I've built so over the years so you you would you I don't know maybe maybe that you you need somebody that doesn't know what they're doing just so they know that they so they can break it in the right way yeah but I, I just thought that was a little better than just you know 11 year old girl hacking into the system and everything's all hunky-dory so that's just that I don't know they're both great in their own ways, but they're also both really dumb in their own ways. But, you know, the movie's fantastic. The book is fantastic. I would recommend both to whoever. Anyways, do you want to yeah. do, do hop into House of Leaves, or do you have anything else you want to talk about before we, we hop to that? Uh, no, no, I'm good. I'm good to talk about um, House of Leaves. One thing I want to uh, say, I want to, I want to have a uh, formal apology to uh, the author of House of Leaves. Um, I'm sure everybody who's heard our last uh, episode was just was probably cringing as we referred to the author as Daniel Lewski. Um, I, I had a feeling that was wrong, so I, I looked it up after that, and it's apparently Daniel Lewski. It's like the, I guess in po- the Polish pronunciation of the W is a lot closer to a V. Well, it's your fault, so I am not apologizing. <laughs> yeah, I mean that's fair. I I, <laughs> I I led us into the I led us into that one. I was with with uh, the blind confidence of a uh, of a guy that's that's only read a word that he's never heard out loud. Yeah. But uh, one See. thing I want to say before we get too deep into it, because I will forget otherwise. Um, I'm pretty sure it's both. Uh, Zapano and uh, Johnny Truant that do this, but I, I want to say I've only seen it once with Zapano, and I've seen it like 30 times with Johnny Truant. I hate, 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 hate that he says would of, could of, should of. I hate it. That is one of my major, 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 major pet peeves with uh, with writing. Is would of could of should of, it's 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 up it's 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 higher up, but it's in a similar vein to people, uh, confusing lose and loose, when they're writing. Yeah, I I, I, I this this company that I worked at um, years ago, there there everybody who worked at that company seemingly every single person did not know the the could have would have should have. They they didn't know that it was a contraction would would of uh, apostrophe ve they so everybody got that wrong and it was like it was like being in the twilight zone just everybody 
on on all these emails and IMs just constantly getting it wrong. And it was just, just like a, a slow, slow boiling to- torture. Yeah. Um, I don't... Yeah, that's something that I've seen with... Uh, I, I noticed more with... Uh, that was Johnny. I don't remember seeing uh, Zampano uh, making that mistake. Yeah, because uh, I remember thinking that... I thought that it might be something that uh, Danielewski was doing intentionally for Johnny. Then I, I think s- that is true. Because I, I, I think Johnny, I, he he doesn't... Well, we we'll get into well. If you want, we can talk about it now. But he's we we've learned in this this last section that we've read that his education, his formal education, uh, ended you know pretty early. He dropped out. Um, mm-hmm. So, but he's he's like he's smart enough to like to write all this stuff and and write it in an interesting way. Um, but he's like his his formal education, you know, is not. It's lacking. Yeah, it's he. He just didn't. He he's just. You know, he he probably never got to the point where they're like really drilling down on that kind of stuff. I I was reading the uh, the book. This uh, this might have been last week actually when I caught this before chapter five, and I saw a lot of Johnny Truant. I would have done this. I could have done that. Whatever. And yeah, I was thinking that maybe it was something that uh, Danielewski was doing specifically for Johnny Truant, just as part of his character. But then I saw it happen with Zapano in the House of Leaves, and I don't know if it's happened more than once, but I saw it one time, and I know I saw it in there one time because my brain just broke for that second, and I'm like, oh, either both Zapano and Johnny Truant are illiterate, or Danielewski is illiterate. Which I realize is an exaggerated thing to say because he is a very talented writer. But it just, it breaks my brain. I hate it. It's just, I don't like being a grammar Nazi. But some things I feel like are perpetuating the ruination of intelligence in America or the Western world as a whole. And really bad writing techniques like would of or i can't believe we're going to loose this game or things like that i just i you know just just look at your just look at your text and fix it please (laughs) it it bothers me do not do not text dusty do not bring any of that, that that weak sauce into his text all right make sure it's punctuated no emojis, no, um, no, no, no uh, abbreviations. I'm, I'm talking the full King's English. I'm not. You're, you're... I'm not going that far. Like <laughs> you can, you can use you are if you're going to say you're. I'm not going to, but you can. Whatever. It's just a shorthand thing for the convenience of texting quickly. But I do think some people go a little too extreme with things like that, and they have an entire, especially if you're like 50. And you're doing that, it's like, man, you're just trying a little too hard, aren't you? Uh, but I think I think in in those cases, it's just they they just assume that's how you're supposed to do it. They're you know they're like, oh well, people that's what the the people the young people do, so I guess that's how you do it. One of those uh, uh, that, one of those how do you do, fellow kids kind of moments. Exactly, yeah, something like that. <laughs> uh, yeah. But you know, I just that, I just had a thought here. Um, you know how uh, the the whole the whole uh, Johnny 
with the the water heater moment from if you remember from the first uh yeah first episode that we did what if that's that's another water heater moment that he didn't signify because you know if, if you were saying uh that's something that we've noticed as being characteristic of johnny's writing maybe that's something that he he slipped in there at that moment you know if you i, I maybe we could go back and look for it sometime and kind well, of see if we could contextualize it. but that that's that's the first thing that comes to my mind when I think about that moment, if Zampano is making that mistake. I do remember there was another sequence of Johnny adding something into the House of Leaves that he mentions. I can't remember what it was specifically, but I, I remember there was another instance where he said that he added that in. Or maybe the editor said he added that in. I don't remember <laughs> which it was. Yeah, that, that's... Uh... I don't know. I th- I think that's something that I need to be more diligent about looking is to kind of like see if I can ever detect like a wandering tone to kind of maybe indicate maybe this is not Sampano, but rather Johnny talking here. Yeah. Um, and I, I want to get this out of the way now, too, uh, because I don't want to have a... Uh a bit of a, uh, a whiplash where it's like, I love this, I hated this, I love this. Um, the first third of Chapter 5 was one of the worst, most insulting pieces of a book I've ever read. And I hated it, and I never want to read it again. It was awful. I was complaining to my wife about it constantly while we were going through it. And I hated it. It sucked. It was bad. It was terrible. It was useless. It had no purpose existing. It was brought back at the end of the chapter for like one payoff line that did not need to be in there because it added nothing to the book other than being like, hey, remember when I spent 13 pages talking about echoes? Here's an echo. It's it, it was so <laughs> dumb. And the Johnny Truant tangent that was like three pages long in it was nonsense. It made it, it added nothing. He was just saying words. Like, they didn't mean anything, at least to my... Uh, maybe my brain was too fried to catch a meaning, but they didn't mean anything. He was just like, oh, Zapano is talking a bunch of bullshit, so I'm going to, too. And it was bad, and I hated it. Nobody needs to read 13 pages about fucking Echoes. I'm sorry, it's stupid, and I'm really frustrated about it because I hated it. And I it was a horrible hour of my life where I was like, I can't believe I have to get through this. And you're like, it'll get better. And it did, to be fair. It got way better. I loved the book after that, just like I loved the book before that. But oh my god, I hated it, and I just want to vent about it because it was so bad. Yeah, that that was a that was a low point for me, uh, at least so far. Um, it it reminded me of of re- of trying to read. Um, I, I took a physics of sound class when I was in college, and um, it was excruciating. <laughs> it, was, it was sometimes it was just like I'm just trying to listen to the. I, I I'm not. I, I would not regard myself as a particularly mathematic or scientifically minded person. Um, I have other things that I'm more interested in personally and more naturally in, inclined towards. Uh, and it was just like trying, to, it was just pulling teeth, trying to, to kind of like puzzle out. Okay, so what exactly is being said here? <laughs> Let me, I'm going to look back, see if I took any, even took any notes. Because I, I do kind of take notes as we, as we go here. Um... I should pull up your notes while we're talking. Okay. Okay. I think it was around. Okay. Hold on. Uh, okay, here's so here's five, one you said. 40. 
Uh, yeah, here's one you said for uh, page 48. Johnny recommending we skip the echo passage except for the end using on blindness, basically what I did. That's oh. <laughs> that's another thing that's... I want to point out is him saying that we can skip this is one of the most patronizing and insulting things you could ever do to your reader. To basically just tell them, hey, all of this shit that you just read that was really bad and tedious and wordy and means nothing to the to the, even the plot of this chapter. Yeah, you could have skipped that. Yeah, that that was so that I, I yeah I basically just that was rough. I I see formulas and I'm like, nope, I'm gonna keep moving. Yeah, that's uh, another so, thing. It's like, oh, here's the sim, here's the here's the mathematical formula echoes, and I'm like, nah, I'm good, bro. Like, I don't need it. I don't, I don't need it, man. <laughs> it's uh, it's I I will say to kind of loop back to kind of something we talked about during the the. The, the the preamble the pre-ramble as it were the uh it, it, the 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 science the way that um danielewski does the science in this book i don't necessarily find very engaging it, it it doesn't feel whereas like um like a Crichton you know i obviously a lot depending on the books the the, the science presented in in the, in the Crichton books is often uh quite dated uh, compared to our, our understanding, or or flat out wrong, compared to our our, compare, our understanding of science issues or scientific problems and questions, but it it just I, I had a real. But you can kind of go through it and you're like, okay, yeah, okay, cloning frogs, yeah, whatever, cool. You know, you're you're just kind of you can kind of. He does a good job of if it if it's all B. I'll put it this way: if it's all BS. It sounds good enough. Whereas this, it's just, and and you kind of you can kind of go with it. This was just kind of, uh, this is kind of rough. Yeah, um, I don't have my book in front of me. I can get up and grab it in a minute if I need to. But my my takeaway here uh, for anybody who hasn't read the book and wants to read it is um, just skip it. Honestly, just skip it. It does not add anything to the story. It's the it's the start of chapter five. Um, for my copy so of the book, I think 41, I want to, 41 is the page that it starts? 41 to 48. Is I, you, you can basically skip until... I'd argue the, like the 53, beginning. if I remember correctly. Well, I think 48 is when Johnny says you can go ahead and you can just skip that whole bit, except for the passage on, on blindness, which... Uh, let's see if I can... Okay. Okay. Oh, here we go. Here we go. Um... <clears throat> Unfortunately, humans lack the sophisticated neural hardware present in bats and whales. The blind must rely on the feeble light of fingertips and the painful shape of cracked shin. Echolocation comes down to the crude assessment of simple sound modulations, whether in the dull reply of a tapping of a cane or the low earring flutter of a simple word, perhaps your word, flung down an empty hallway long past midnight. Yeah, that's that's pretty much that's pretty much all you you really need. I will say, from... I did like that line that flung down the hallway long past midnight. I liked that line. No, no, the, I think Johnny is very, and and by extension, Daniel Levski is very correct in saying um, you should skip it except for that part because it's good. It's actually very good and very thought provoking. But uh, the everything before that was like thought terminating. You just see it, and your just brain is just. Shuts off. Yeah. Um. This. I promise. This. This is relevant. Uh. Did you ever watch the show Justified? Uh. Heard of it. Never saw it. 
Um, one, watch it. It's amazing. I think you would love it. It's got um, it's Timothy Oliphant and Walton Goggins. And as you know, Walton Goggins is one of my favorite actors. He's horribly underrated. Um, well, I, I I just I think I confused it for what is that show about crooked cops in L.A. They it was it was the same kind of the Shield. I think I just I just confused it for the Shield or something. I've never watched the Shield. I've always wanted to give it a try, but I, I've heard it's really good, but I've never. I've never watched it. I, I maybe I will eventually. Uh, but no, Justified That's is a CCH the one. Pounder. Yeah, Justified is the uh, one with TV. With... Sorry. Go ahead. I uh, know. I was just. I was just saying. That's the. I think that was the CCH Pounder uh, TV show that in in Always Sunny that where Dennis does the um, does the impression, the famous impression of CCH Pounder. I think that's where it comes from. The oh, shield. Okay. Now that I think about it. <laughs> um. Sorry, you just derailed my thought process with that with the Sunny reference. Uh, <laughs> um, anyways, uh, yeah, that that's the one with uh, Timothy Oliphant where he wears the the cowboy hat. And it's it's in uh, Kentucky, I think, is where it takes place. It's a very very good show. It's not a western. It takes place in modern times. He just wears a cowboy hat because, in his own words, I tried it on and it fit. But it's a fantastic show, and I highly recommend it. Anyways, uh, Walton Goggins' character. Um, he is a very, very talkative character. And there's a great line in one of the later seasons. I want to say like maybe season five, maybe season six. Uh, there's a great little line where he's talking to this dude who's essentially holding him at gunpoint. And um, yeah, he says, uh, the dude that's holding him at gunpoint says, I love the way you talk using 40 words when four will do. And it's it's I feel like that is a perfect encapsulation of Johnny Truman. He is Boyd Crowder in House of Leaves. He he does I think, but I think that's kind of like his thing. Is like he he even talks about he talks about it um, in this last grouping that we read of chapters. He mentions that like this that like he I I I don't want to say he's a compulsive liar necessarily. But he does like he does say that like the embellishment kind of almost happens by itself when he finds himself like talking, you know, like he can't. Like help he himself. just it, exactly. He just kind of like go. He's just kind of always and just going with the flow. It's just it just free, almost like free associating over his stories. You know, he's a natural storyteller. He is, and 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 it, 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 that's why some of these things are very engaging, but like. It's it's kind of like it's when it works it works and when it doesn't you're kind of like okay well you're saying forty words that's... where four will do exactly yeah um, I will say but I don't know about you but for me personally I think I prefer Johnny Truman's story over the House of Leaves you mean the Davidson record well yeah like that the, the house that... well the the House of Leaves is the book that was written by Davidson. Because like if if you look in your uh, in your novel uh, on the title page it says the House of Leaves by Zapano with introduction and notes by Johnny Truman. Oh, okay, interesting. I oh hold on, I'm lost in the. It's after the introduction, right? No, it's um it's after the copyright page. Okay, that's interesting because the oh, there's sorry, this no, page not. before before chapter one the page before chapter one it says the Navidson record. 
there's a blank page except for the phrase or the the Navidson record. Yeah, that's like the that's like the bulk of the book is the Navidson record, and then at, like that that's like the bulk of the House of Leaves, and then the rest of the House of Leaves are the exhibits and the exhibits and the appendix, which are like additional hmm. material to add on. To oh, the Navidson okay. Record. That's interesting. I I did not uh, I didn't think about that, but yeah, I'm looking at that page now. Somebody House didn't skim by... their book before reading it. I I guess I, I guess I did. It's uh yeah, because that's the page before the copyright information. All right, well then I've been mentally categorizing this all wrong. Um, I've just been referring to the Zampano story as uh the Navidson record. I think in my my thoughts and in my um, probably in my notes too. I mean, you're not wrong, to be fair. Like, not, nothing you've said is wrong. Yeah, it's, uh... Okay, that, that's just, interesting. Yeah, you're just not, you're not being, like... You just haven't been being global. You've just been being, like, more narrow-focused on, like, specifically the Navidson record. Which... Mm-hmm. Yeah, you're, you're correct. You're still correct in it. We're both right here. That's interesting that the House of Leaves is... Is a book within the book called House of Leaves. Yeah, it's just it's just another layer of meta storytelling. That's pretty cool. Yeah, I think I do prefer Johnny Truant's stories, personally. Which it's not it's not that's not at all a knock on anything to do with like the Navidson record, because it's really interesting and I'm really enjoying that too. It's like a great found footage in book form kind of thing. But I am more engaged with Johnny Truant's possibly fictitious floating through his life in a post-discovering the House of Leaves manuscript life. There, it definitely has some really interesting moments. Like, like just after all of that um, stuff about the... Um, about the the echoes, I, I promise we're not going to keep talking about that. <laughs> but uh, like that, that's he has some very interesting, like his um, how he talks about his boss. Um, let's let me see if I can get to it easily. See. Are you talking get about to... the when he when he has that thought, but he actually says it out loud? Yes. It's like the oh the the like the mutant has opposable thumbs or something like that. Oh no, that that was that was during a fight. It was um. Oh, you're right. I'm, 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 yeah. Okay. Um. But anyway, I I just like how he describes his boss as this guy that's just like this, like former art school guy. He talks about like, oh, I I used to live in London. I think most people have met a similar kind of guy that's just like very tedious, very tiresome, thinks very highly of themselves and their and their art, but is just like. Just completely, um, completely insufferable. Um, I think that's around the same time that uh, Thumper comes into Johnny's narrative, or, or I, I know he's she's mentioned before, yeah, but I think Thumper he talks proper. about meeting. Yeah, that's how he, he. I think he. That's where where um, she's coming to get the tattoo, and uh, he's getting his boss tells him to hang up. You know, he's like, "Hey, stop." Stop sitting around and, and hang up her pants or whatever. Yeah. I want to say something real quick. Um, I'm jumping ahead, I think, to Chapter 8. But I have a theory that I want to posit right now since you're talking about Thumper. Because it has to do with her. <laughs> Thumper is Ashley, right? 
like her name is Ashley in in that. I don't know. I, I, I think, genuinely don't. Know. I think Ashley is Thumper because uh, once again I'm jumping ahead to chapter eight here. Uh, <laughs> there's the the bit where he's talking about how he pages Thumper again, and she doesn't call him back. Then he has a voicemail from someone named Ashley saying to call her back that he ignores. And then when he goes on that kind of like pseudo date with Thumper, uh, he's te- he just ends up telling her about like his life ostensibly. And he mentions mm-hmm. the uh, and it, he specifically points out that when he mentions the, the voicemail from Ashley, that she laughs at it. And it's 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 mm. only when he says it's 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 he he's talking about her telling her, him telling her things, and then I, I I I'm gonna have to dig for this and find it later. Um, but it's he he mentions that he got the missed call and voicemail from someone named Ashley, and she laughs at that. I think she is Ashley because Thumper is a name that he invented, and she finds it funny when he calls her Thumper. Which I think mm-hmm. is is very very. I I get secondhand embarrassment from him sitting there calling her thumper the, to her a face. A lot of, a lot of the things in in this part, um, I think you can fairly have secondhand embarrassment too. Like when he gives her um, a copy of all the stuff he wrote about her. Yeah. It's just like no. Uh, let me. I think I even. That's, let me see if I can find my notes. Yeah. Which but I I think. I think my note is literally just no. Oh God, please no. Why. <laughs> Yeah, something something to that effect. Which I mean, it's the it it's made out to where he is at least a pretty good looking dude, so he uh, I guess gets a pass for that. Oh, you're hot, so okay. it's fine. Here's here's the Johnny is still as in the state of extreme limerence over Thumper and oh god, no, why? <laughs> and then it's then then it's um he gave Johnny who can barely talk that that's that's true. To this point, he has said, I think maybe 20 words to her like in, including most of it are like you know just just like very perfunctory getting to know you stuff and he gives her this this whole spiel you know or this this written spiel about how he's just like head over heels in love with her and like very visceral descriptions of her and it's just like oh that is that is not dude that is not the the, the play <laughs> and so um she what what's what makes it worse is like she reads it right there and then his boss also reads it and it's just like uh, that was like that was it, that was um people talk about how cringe like that scott's tots um, I, my brain the episode of the, the office. office it was like this is like this is so so much worse <laughs> yeah but um Oh, also, she after th- this is this is the thing that's crazy. She gives him her number because we were talking about how how he tries to call her. After that, she chooses to give him her number, which is just a certified crazy move. Somebody gives you like a manifesto about you, and and you're like, yeah, okay, seems good enough. I'll just I'll, I'll let me give him his, my number. And then he doesn't call her. You know, later when he gets off, he chooses to call her at three twenty three a.m. Which is a, another certified crazy move. This is also the same woman that, after this situation, thinks it's totally appropriate to talk to Johnny about how amazing her new boyfriend is in bed. So, I mean, she's not exactly I mean, the most 
I don't want to say civilized woman ever, but I'm not trying to I'm not trying to imply that she's a stripper, therefore she's trashy, because that's not what I mean. I I think. Well, I think I think Johnny puts it best when he describes her as uninhibited. Yeah, yeah, that's a good way of doing it. Um, because I I don't think being a, a stripper automatically makes you trashy. I think that she is a stripper that just happens to be trashy. And she it's, she has uh, a she has a tattoo right above her vagina that says like the happiest place on earth, right? Yeah, that that's um that's worse than a tramp stamp. Let's be let's be honest here. Yeah, I don't I I don't I don't know about that one. That was not well, uh, I, I think, wouldn't be my idea. I think, wouldn't be I, I good. I think the only worse tattoo you can get than that is a tramp stamp with an arrow pointing down saying exit only. That's uh, ugh. That, that that was there was a lot of bad tattoo ideas going on at this time period. <laughs> it yeah. was just it was just a, a bad time in general for like like aesthetics and fashion. It and really was that kind of. And I I I am a little I'm still I mean yeah, I guess not fully because everything must come back you know but I I am a little bit like a, a little bit um unsure of how about about people trying to bring this era back in terms of fashion it's just it was not a good era I, I, it was it just wasn't i agree but yeah the name thumper as i understand it originally comes from his mental euphemism for her vagina i thought it was i thought she had like a bambi tattoo it was it a bambi tattoo i uh i i could be wrong here I thought it had to do with um, the whole thing with like her, you know, he shows off her rabbit, and it's the happiest place on earth. I could, I, I could have read that wrong. If I'm wrong, then excuse me. Um, but all the same, though, my the the my po- general point still stands that uh, the name okay. Thumper is a is a creation of his too, since he never bothered to ask her her name. Yes, he said. Suffice it to say, the second I saw that rabbit, that was the second I saw. I started calling her Thumper. That rabbit being her vagina, or a tattoo. Uh, hold on. Let me actually read back. Would you say that Johnny Truant might possibly be either a a sex addict or b a sexual deviant? I think definitely he's he's supposed to be. Um, like an addict of some kind. I think he's, that's just kind of his thing is how he, well, we, we see a lot of things about his life that have been like pretty traumatic and pretty, um, how... and, and continues, his life continues to be traumatic. So I think that's one of the things he does. Like he, the, the alcohol, the, um, the, the drugs, that kind of thing. I think, I think it, it, that, and the, the, you know, the sexual escapades, I think those are all, uh, things that make, that, that he does to kind of self-medicate. How I understand it is it was a response to um, him being raped by his stepfather. That's how I understood that passage to go. That's interesting. Did, um, did you interpret that differently? I interpreted that as his stepfather um, beat him up. Well, I, 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 I don't I, think they're mutually exclusive. I think he beat Not him necessarily, but I, that, I, I just kind of... I, my mind didn't necessarily go there, but I, I I wouldn't say that's a false interpre- interpretation necessarily either. 
that that whole passage was just very troubling um when he when we're talking about you know johnny and how he's um you know he's his 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 father's passed and uh he's you know he's staying with his family and and this guy you know he's just this completely overbearing you know loose cannon you know uh i think i think people a lot of people have known this kind of this kind of guy this kind of look uh guy who is in the military not really um well adjusted a very damaged person himself uh and he's he's just he demands everything be a certain way uh i think i think it probably is his own way of coping um and he so johnny you know he's a little bit of a he's got a little bit of a wild hair we'll say and he's you know getting into trouble at school he's getting into fights and uh yeah he he his uh step not stepfather he's not his stepfather he's i guess oh, it's his adopted father in a legal guardian yeah adopted father legal yeah, guardian yeah that's what it was um he yeah he he takes him he comes he comes home from from school he's got like a, his knuckles are broken and he's all beaten up and then it it says that he he yells at his his family he he basically gets them to leave and then he takes him into a field, and then it's just kind of left ambiguous as to, at least from my perspective, it was ambiguous as to what happened. He well, said he was going to take him to the hospital after. It definitely is ambiguous for sure. But he did say that's how the tooth got chipped, at least. Yes. Like the tooth was chipped in the, in that incident. I, I found it. It's on page ninety-three. It's the very last paragraph. It says Raymond took me somewhere else first. Uh, he. Let me, let me actually back up. Uh, but we didn't go directly to the hospital. Raymond took me somewhere else first, where I lost half my tooth and a lot more too, I guess, on the outskirts, in an mm. ice-covered place surrounded by barbed wire and willows, where monuments of rust seldom touched, lie frozen alongside fence posts, and no one ever comes near enough to hear the hawks cry. Now, I feel like his statement saying I lost half my tooth is the implied beating and mm-hmm. a lot more too, I guess is the rape. That's how I interpreted that. You know, I think I, I agree. I, I, I don't know. I guess I just kind of missed that little end a lot more too, I guess. I read but it like I, three times through that entire paragraph being like, did I really just read a guy admitting that he was raped as a 12 year old? Cause that's fucked. I, you know, I think you're right. I think that's that's the uh, implication that we're supposed to understand from that. Um... So wow. I definitely think that um, that does play a large role in his um, sexual proclivities as an adult, because mm-hmm. a lot of times uh, people that suffer that kind of abuse and trauma when they're younger since it, it it messes with their minds uh, their development it's something that they end up leaning toward as an adult it's the you know it's the cycle of abuse and it's it's horrible horrible stuff <laughs> to say the least yeah i th- i think i think you're you probably you might be onto something there i just kind of assumed it as it was a kind of self medication um for just like his general um, the difficulties of his life, but I think I think you you uh, are are onto something here with like it's 
it is also a response to his uh, his direct response to the abuse. To to change the subject and get to more lighter themes, let's 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 hop over to the Davidson record because uh, Johnny's story is getting a little heavy. <laughs> That's true. Uh, the, when we last left off with Navidson, that 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 they had the um, they were looking at the they 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 were trying to just their their problems were pretty small relatively speaking at the time. They were trying to figure out why the house there was a quarter inch difference in there the measurement from the house externally versus internally. Um, when a whole foot opened up behind a bookcase, um, sending the books sprawling. But things have kind of they've gotten I would say unfathomably worse <laughs> for them. Um, basically, uh, a port the, the portal has 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 really opened up in their house to this uh, this alternate dimension. Well, maybe not even alternate dimension. I, I I think this is something that we should get squared away. But they're like they're, they're this 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 whole hallway leading into like this endless series of hallways has opened up in their house and they are, they're not handling it very well. They're making some strange decisions. They're not contacting any, anybody about it. They're, they're really just decided, uh, yeah, we're going to get this local engineer guy that we know and my brother, and we're, we're going to, we're going to figure this out. Um, at least I think that's kind of like Navidson's idea. Um, well, Navidson wants the fame of it. He wants, he sees it as a, um, because, you know, he went into the hallway, and despite his wife telling him she didn't want him to. And it, you know, it, it's an anomaly in and of itself when they found it. And then when his kids ran in it, he had to run in, grab them, and bring them out. Then when he went in it again and ended up getting lost and all that fun stuff, and it becoming a labyrinth, I think it became more of a point of pride for him. And a, mm-hmm. this is this is my this is my next Pulitzer kind of thing where he can make this monolithic discovery. So I think there's a lot of pride and a lot of uh, fame-seeking here. And you can see the same thing with uh, with Holloway, too. Yeah, um, th- that's true. I think I think that's something that we... I don't know how much we talked about, uh, Navidson, the last time around. I, it's been a little bit since we've... I've, I, I listened back to uh, uh, what we talked about. But I think yeah, that's 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 a big thing for Navidson. He's a you know he's a a Pulitzer Prize winning uh, war photographer among other things. He's he's but he's been around the world. He's pretty well known. I don't the the book portrays him as being a very famous, maybe not very famous, but famous enough. Like he he uh, there's a one point where he he hangs out with famous people that are uh, mysterious. Pardon me. There's a part where he hangs he hangs out with. Um, Two famous people that Zampano very pointedly leaves unnamed. Um, so I'm just going to uh, assume that it was Mike Tyson and Bob Dylan. Um, okay, interesting. That he process. was hanging out with. <laughs> I that just just I I don't know. I just threw Mike Tyson in on a whim, but for some reason I really was picturing like like 1990 like. It, like Bob, Bob Dylan, like just before he got his like critical reappraisal and kind of like had like this that big second act like comeback moment. Like it was, it was it, for some reason I just was picturing Bob Dylan there. Yeah. <laughs> hey, Mac As Tyson, like, let's go hang out with my friend Davidson. 
I'm, I'm, I'm not going to attempt to Mike Tyson. I, this I sounds like, like a great was... idea, Bobby. <laughs> I, I think I don't know why that was just my my initial my initial thought was like, I, ooh, it's time to talk to my friend Davidson. That's a weird hallway, man. Uh, that's kind of weird. I'll see you later. Bye. <laughs> wow, this hallway is really freaking me out. I'm gonna leave. <laughs> yeah. I'm gonna I don't go know. ride just... another Grammy winning album. Yeah. I'm gonna go hang out with my friend. Uh, Tom Tom Petty and write the the second Traveling Wilburys album. <laughs> hmm. Let's see, it was that, what nineteen. It was what nineteen ninety three was the Davidson record. I think no, the, I think the Davidson record was all this happened in nineteen ninety. Nineteen ninety. Okay, I could actually still do this. <laughs> I'm gonna say it was Kurt Cobain and Anthony Kiedis. And that's why Anthony like, Kiedis speaks nonsense in his music, and Kurt Cobain killed himself. They 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 learned they they saw things that damaged them permanently. Yep. Um. Some gun or something in that hallway. <laughs> the, the, get it away! Get those. it away! Get it away now! <laughs> that's. I think that's 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 it. I think that's better than Bob Dylan and Mike Tyson. It's. It's clearly, it's clearly, um, twenty-year-old Anthony. Well, maybe not twenty. It was probably like twenty-five-year-old Anthony Kiedis and uh, like twenty-year-old uh, Kurt Cobain. Just, just off of his tour for uh, touring for, with, with touring Bleach. He'd have been twenty-seven, uh, twenty-eight. Anthony Kiedis. Yes, he was born in nineteen sixty-two. Wow, I forget how old he is. He's I, I but but they had they were like a band for like a whole decade before they really really hit it big with um Blood Sugar Sex Magic which came out one year after this. <laughs> so yeah, he, he was the, the I would say Get It Away Now is uh Give It Away Now is was uh, originally Get It Away Now referring to whatever is whatever the heck is growling in these uh in these hallways. Yeah, uh, Under the that Bridge is... was originally called Under Ash Ash Tree Lane. <laughs> but yeah anyway they are you know things are things are heating up um i really like the characters um i i my i mean i really like the johnny portion but i i, I kind of am the inverse of your opinion i i really am more interested in the navidson record um maybe maybe that is less uh, sophi- uh less sophisticated opinion because <laughs> i'm like Ooh, what is in the hallway? What is in the hallway of mystery? <laughs> but I'm, I'm, I'm just, I'm totally, totally invested. Um, but I, I, did, I don't know. I just, I really like the, the, the crew of characters that would, that are surrounding that. Um, even, even Karen, I have a lot of sympathy for. I think she's just like, you can clearly tell, like she is, she is really thrown, but she's not trying to, to, um, to I... like let on. I feel like we're lacking some context on possible infidelities on her part, at least implied, because of... It seems like a lot of probably fake authors seem to think that she was uh, very unfaithful to Davidson during their... during their marriage. And, Mm -hmm. uh... Like, prior prior to... uh, to the the house on Ashtree Lane, and 
I don't really well, I think, think I, we've had any. I think that was something that is subtextual where they say, mm-hmm. like, the house is supposed to be a new start. And that's something that new start, huh? Uh, that, that's uh, that's something that uh, that Karen um, refers to. He's like she she says that even verbatim is like this. This house was supposed to be, you know, the next chapter of our lives. I think they were there were there was a lot of strain in their marriage. Um, and I think that's a fair interpretation, especially with. um what Zampano is giving us in terms of, or is alleging these other authors are saying about this person that may or may not be real, um, Karen, um, that, that, that there, there's the implication of infidelity. And there's this moment with Wax, who is one of the, who, one of uh, Holloway's men, where, where there's like he, she's kind of like talking to him. And the, the the implication is that she's being you know a little bit flirtatious with him, and he he goes and he he kisses her, and she like, she's kind of she eats the, his the face that, in that, return. Uh, yeah, like Zampano is kind of implying that she's kind of into it. That that's putting it lightly. So, yeah. I think I think there's, but I think even even her I think she's there's there's not that it necessarily would excuse someone's infidelity but i think there's a lot of pain there too for her like she there's this passage that i found very um heartbreaking her 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 bit about okay um when diderot told the teenage sophie voland you all die at 15 he could have been speaking to karen who at 15 did die to behold karen as a child is nearly as ghostly an experience as the house itself Old family films capture her athletic zeal, her unguarded smiles, the tomboy spirit that sends her racing through the muddy flats of a recently drained pool. She's awkward, a little clumsy, but rarely self-conscious, even when covered in mud. Um, so that's kind of her as a, as a child. She gets a little older. Parent, her former teachers claim that she frequently expressed a desire to be president, a nuclear physicist, a surgeon, even a professional hockey player. Um... All all choices reflected an unatten att- uh, all her choices reflected unattenuated self confidence a remarkably healthy sign for a a thirteen year old girl uh, and then it kind of goes and then by the time she was she turned fifteen all of that was gone she hardly spoke in class she refused to function in any, in any sort of school event and rather than discuss her feelings deferred to the world with a hard and perfectly practiced smile. Um, apparently, if her sister's to believe, to be believed, Karen spent nearly every night of her 14th year composing that smile in front of a plastic-handled mirror. Uh, tragically, her creation proved flawless, and through her near aphonia, should have been should have alarmed any adept teacher or guidance counselor. It was invariably awarded with the paritic prize of high school popularity. So I think something has happened to her, particularly when she was that age of 13, which is, I think, when Johnny, uh, or 14, which is when Johnny also went through a similar um, a similar uh, sort of trauma that, that has kind of altered her personality in, in such a way that she's very, I don't know, she's, she's not able to, uh, she doesn't really communicate very well, you know, it, it's kind of closed her off and is... And she, it, it, her, her personality is 
it, it's difficult. It can be difficult anyway to discern. It's it's because because there's a certain performative element to it. It's like who who is Karen actually? You know. Mm-hmm. But something I want to point out though is um, that in, that new start that she's talking about. Uh, the way that Zapano uh, portrays it is that it's supposed to be about Navidson spending more time with his family rather than all of his time working and traveling the world to get his photographs and whatnot. We only ever mm-hmm. get, outside of the the scene in the kitchen with Wax, we only ever get told by other writers that there is an implication of infidelity on her part in the past. So I'm mm-hmm. wondering if... Well, there's also we we mentioned wax, but we all she also kind of flirts with Holloway. Let me see if I can find that. that uh, was... I, I think it's more that Holloway flirts with her, and Navidson is taking it for being more than what it was. Because Zapano even says that oh, Navidson was so worried about Holloway when it actually was Wax that was the one that he should have been worried about. That's right. That's right. I remember that now. Yeah, but like outside of the Wax situation, which. There is a lot of context given the situation inside the house that has built to that moment. I don't necessarily know if there actually is any real evidence of infidelity on either of their parts prior to that. Other than just other people saying, well, I think she's a whore, which mm-hmm. it's just it's just it's it's hearsay. So I don't know if I'm actually supposed to believe that she has been unfaithful to Davidson before or if i'm supposed to just take it on blind faith based on what other people say about her because i i don't know i personally don't get that vibe from what i've been reading in the way in, at least in the way that Zapano has been framing navidson and karen's relationship it definitely feels strained but there definitely also seems to be a lot of love between the two of them for each other the problem though mm-hmm. is that they definitely are not compatible people. So that's why there is all of the tension, all of the rifts, all of the trouble, because he is someone who likes to travel, he's someone who's adventurous, he's someone who wants to go and put himself in danger if it means getting the shot, and she's someone who wants to have her family around her. So Yeah, she she craves that, that sort of security. Yeah, so that's where the tension and the, um, I think what eventually leads to uh, the situation with Wax in the kitchen comes from is all of that being built up from like everything he did in the past to all of it starting to crumble and get worse once again once the house starts being weird and the hallway appears. It just starts kind of adding all of that tension and strain on their relationship even more. But I find it funny that the person that she turned to when that tipping point kind of hits is a guy who wants to solo climb Mount Everest. Wax. I got some thoughts about wax. He was they The way they introduced him was very, very strange. Um, they introduced him. Let's see. I was, off, I was waiting for I, us. I, I know this was written in 2000, but I was waiting for us to get a link to his vine page. <laughs> He definitely seems like a uh, like a a 2015 through. He's like the a very specific genre of guy that you saw a lot more in like like 2014, 2015 through 2020. 
you know? Mm-hmm. Like, he fe- he feels, like, very of that time. Um, if I don't know if you noticed this, but the first time his name appears, there's, like, spaces in between the, the W, A, and the X. So it's like, well, I, I was wondering what, the, what was the deal with that? I don't know if I'd look too much into that, because I've also found some typos in the book. Like, one of the times mm-hmm. when... Um... I forgot if it was Johnny or if it was in the House Believes talking about a key. Uh, I saw in the paragraph they're talking about having a key, and the second time the word key is written, it's spelled K Y E. So it very hmm. well could just be a mistake that was either intentionally placed or or just missed in the editing process because I have found typos in the book. That's true. I think the the book is supposed to be represent more of a manuscript than a finished product, anyway. Yeah, that's true too. Um, but yeah, it, it was a uh, wax. Okay, he's he's basically one of those like um, I don't know if you've ever spent any amount of time in Colorado, you know, even even just like visiting. I'm sure you've you've encountered this kind of guy. He's like a one of those mountain party bros. Um. He's like always drinking and partying and you know that kind of thing, um, but the, it, it's it's kind of interesting that it ref, it kind of reminds me of like um like you said of like some sort of like wannabe Vine Star type guy and the way he talks too it's just I don't know very very strange um but what what's really interesting is he's he acts it says that he's very humble about climbing um let me see if I can find it. Okay, he says, uh, booze and women are one thing, but a rocky face is always better than you, and if you make it down alive, you're grateful you had a good trip. But it, it starts off with, um, does it start? Okay, yeah, here here when it's introducing him at first, he's like, and I'll tell you, or it's, uh, in one clip he tells us how he plans to eventually make a solo ascent of Everest's North Face, and I'll tell you this, more than a few people are betting I'll do it. It's like, okay, so it's like, is he humble or is he just like suicidally confident? You know? Well, I, I'm assuming that, that I found that very interesting. I'm assuming that humility that it's referring to is that he's he he's humble in the sense that he takes the risks and the danger of rock climbing seriously. Not so much that he doesn't have an ego. It's just more so. When I am climbing a rock, I know that I need to be doing everything exactly right, or I will die. I think that's what it means when he when they said that he was humble about rock climbing. I guess, but I just think it's it it, it does speak to a certain sort of like just insane um, He's ego a to even to even think you could do something like that. I would I would never even think to attempt something like that yeah, I, I, I mean not that i'm a climbing specialist but i don't think anybody really like would think oh yeah that's a good idea i'm going to ascend mount everest by myself that that, that just sounds like suicide yeah i'll do the rock wall at a state fair and then i'll, I'll that's about where i draw the line <laughs> yeah and, uh, and and even those I, i'd want like a harness or something oh you have to have a harness on those i think there's some that you can free free climb um, oh man! Maybe not a, like a state fair, but like like maybe like a climbing gym. I but imagine I, I so. would. I don't. I would not uh, want to try that. Um, let's see. And then there's also um, 
Jed, who is a uh, who is a very reserved guy. I don't, he he did not really make much of an impression on me, and I think that's that's kind of by design. That's kind of the way that uh, uh, Zampano has kind of have, has kind of excuse me. But he really didn't make an impression on me. He's, and I think that's by design. I think that's kind of how Zampano wrote him. The only things I, I I remember about him is that he likes the artist Lyle Lovett. Um, it was like a country artist that was popular in like the 80s and 90s, kind of like. And then then um, he was from New Jersey. Oh wait, one thing he has uh he has a um. He has a fiance, but there's like he he seems like a very like blank slate guy. Yeah, my my impression was, oh god, that poor fiance is about to lose her. That that poor woman's about <laughs> to lose her fiance, and I felt bad for her. That was my impression of Jed. Was I feel bad for his fiance? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't I don't think I don't think Jed's making it. He's he's got major. Uh, not gonna make it energy. <laughs> yeah, maybe it's because I have a spouse, but for me, he, I'm, he's the only one I want to make it because he has that fiance. I don't want her. I don't want her to have that heartbreak. Nah, man. Right. Let him. <laughs> let him live. The other. The other two can fuck off and die for all I care. Which, which kind of uh, brings us to the the last guy, the the leader of the expeditionary crew, um, Holloway, and he's. He's like a. To, to, I don't know how would how would you describe it. how how would you describe Halloween? I'm gonna full circle this. He's kind of like a Muldoon. Hmm. He is kind of a Muldoon. <laughs> to to bring us back to uh, Jurassic Park. Yeah. Um, I yeah, like he's... Holloway's character as a foil to Davidson, but he's also kind of an ass. Uh, I think that's fair to say. Um. I think there's uh, that's something that's interesting in the book is that it plays with this tension of Navidson and and Holloway, both kind of like jockeying, literally and figuratively for the for the spotlight. Like there's the whole point where where Holloway is flirting with uh, Karen, and Navidson literally walks up to him and bumps him off of his wife. You know. Yeah, and Navidson is uh is uh, surprisingly strong for his frame. Yeah, I remember. I remember it. That almost sounds like Navidson wrote that. He's like, and by the way, <laughs> this guy was big and buff, and like he looked like he was twice my size. But I walked up to him, I bumped him with my shoulder, and he had to stumble back a few steps. I'm a brag, but I mean, you know, I've been doing some uh, some push-ups in my office at night. <laughs> yeah, so there was there was a lot of that energy um, with 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 the whole. Um, what interactions between Navidson and Holloway. Yeah, what is um, it? The, the I do crunches every morning. I can I can do up to a thousand now. <laughs> yes. Yeah, very much so. Um, the, uh, you know, I, I, I you know the, this has led me to think we haven't really talked much about uh, Tom, like almost at all. You know, and I think. I don't have a lot to say about Tom. He's just the supportive brother. Like, there's not—I don't really feel like there's much to say. He's just—he's just Navidson's supportive brother. He's—he seems like he's a better father to Navidson's kids than Navidson is. Well, I think it's—it's it's tough for me to say. I—I—I I, 
he is very supportive, and I and I love seeing the interactions with his with with uh, Navidson's kids, where he's like reading to them or building like a a little a doll house uh, for for um, Daisy. But it just because I you know I think Navidson's kind of got a lot going on right now <laughs> the, with the whole you know um, uh, the we whole need to come up about, with a term for it the whole thing about my career. Well, maybe, but like I think that they would represent that would take up a lot of mental space, no matter who you are. If they're entered, there was like this gigantic chasm that is opened up in your house that contains you know unending and increasing hallways that are shifting through space. You know, yeah. I feel like that would that would it would be difficult to be fully present as a parent as a father if that's happening around you. That's that's the especially when you're him and you're like you're wanting to explore that um mm-hmm. this expanse but you kind of can't but yeah. th- there was kind of actually a very sweet moment um speaking of when he did when he he did explore after uh after Karen uh kicked him uh, sent him to the couch for the night for after um after he scared off Anthony Kiedis and uh very young Kurt Cobain um he he uh he went in he he basically was just felt so compelled to do it he he did it and he kind of got lost and it was actually he found his way back because of uh he heard daisy crying you know she was standing in front of the hallway i think when that so that was i thought that was a very nice moment there in his head he's thinking this is the first time i've ever been thankful i had kids (laughs) maybe Maybe wait. I think I think there's there is a. Um, I'd like to see I guess more as as like there as the, this develops, but I, I I think there is a certain estrangement that Navidson does have with his kids. You see that when when Chad mysteriously he looks you know he gets he has like a black eye. He looks a little beaten up. He won't tell um, Navidson or Karen what's wrong. You know I think that does kind of speak to a certain parental estrangement there yeah i do definitely think that um tom is for sure more of a family man and uh navidson is very much a career man yeah yeah i think and if if i could remember better (laughs) i think there is probably a good reason for that I, i remember they talked a little about their early years but i can't nothing i can't quite call that to mind what what was going on but i i think there was they were both like, I don't know. I guess I'm gonna leave it there because I don't want to just speculate without um, without having any clear memory of the text. But I, I do. I I remember that I think there was some sort of event in their early life, and then that I think that was just their two different. I think that's something that I'm I'm coming to um, coming to the realization of during this conversation, particularly, is that a lot of this is about how people. Things will happen to someone in their life and how they react, how it affects how they react from that point on, you know? Mm-hmm. I think that's 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 kind of a, a, one of the themes of this of this book. Yeah. Um, Which, uh, I got a question for you. Sure. Do you think that Navidson truly believed that the growling was the house shifting 
Or do you think he was just trying to say that to make Holloway and his team less concerned about a potential monster hiding in the labyrinth? A minotaur, so to say. That's a good question. Um, you know, I, 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 I'm inclined to believe that Navidson actually does believe it is the house shifting because a lot of the moments when we hear, when they mention the growl, they also mention some kind of shift that has occurred in the house, you know? Mm-hmm. I think I think that is what Navidson believes, um, or wants to believe, or wants to believe, or has maybe talked himself into. Like no, no, it's just the house moving. So the house moving has you know something like that. But I think there is there is a certain when he allows Holloway to bring the rifle into the into the house after his initial misgiving. I think there is a certain subconscious, like if you really didn't believe and you really wanted to put your foot down, especially with with Holloway, who he does not like, um, he you know, and is not afraid to even physically engage him. I think he's like, I think I think he's um, maybe subconsciously he's like he subconsciously recognizes, okay, there is something weird in there. There is something that is causing the growling, um, but he has rationalized it to be the house shifting but like subconsciously he knows there's something in there that is dangerous or at least that's that's maybe my my new synthesis take based on what what you just mentioned yeah let me throw a a second question at you now too do you think that the hypothetical creature inside of the labyrinth is the same creature that has attacked johnny truant twice now that's another interesting thing, um, because if you remember, um, Johnny, Johnny kind of when they found Zampano, they found a bunch of like half inch deep gouges in the ground, like around his body. There were no signs of a struggle, but they found that around his body. There were also no signs um, of uh, physical harm to Zampano. It was it was ruled as just a, for lack of a better term, natural cause death. Yes. I think, but I think there is something there. I think both in terms of there was something that physically, that its proximity, if nothing else, caused uh, Zampano's death and, and is tormenting Johnny. Um, but I think it's also like, in the sense that I think you're right, I think there's something that is, yeah, I think there's something that we're supposed to infer there. Yeah. So, I don't know. I think whatever it is, is something like that. Let me see if I can find his his freak out, or Johnny's freak out. Are you talking about the one where he fell down the stairs? Or are you talking about the first one? No, the one where he got the scratch. Oh, yeah, that's something. The one that's where he got the scratch too, is when but... he fell down the stairs. Okay, yeah, then I guess that one. Yeah, because uh, you... I, I want to know how Zapano died. Because there were the scratch marks on on his floor, uh, but there were no physical signs of an altercation on him himself. But we do know that it's definitely possible that Johnny's little, we'll just say for lack of a better term now, hallucinations of danger and of the creature 
are not exactly completely in his head because he does get that scratch on the back of his neck that cannot be attested to him falling down the stairs with the uh, the tray of ink. <laughs> so yeah, I want to think... know how Zapano died because this creature can theoretically have a physical presence in the real world and cause real physical damage both through Johnny's neck and the scratches on the floorboard. But it did not at least as far as we know, physically harms Apano. So. Yeah, I think that that, that is something I would like to, to puzzle out a little more. My Another thing that I'm kind of wondering about is how how this thing, this entity, um, one, I guess, I guess let's, let's get this straight. Do you think that, um, the, the narrative of the Navidson record relative to the world of the story, Johnny's Johnny's world, Johnny's story, do you think it is real? I'm going to answer your question with a question. And this, this, Go ahead. this just came to me. I swear to God, I haven't looked anything up. This is just a thought that I just had. Um, do you think, in the context of the story, Zapano is real? I want to say yes. I want to say Zampano is a real guy. I mean, Johnny is not ex- exactly a trustworthy narrator. Um, I think we, we've we that's well covered ground both in this ep- this this uh, this conversation and the previous one. But I here's what leads me to believe he is. Like he, there's a lot of other people that know about him. You know. Obviously, we only know these people through Johnny's. Um, I was about to say that we only know them because of Johnny. So that, so I mean, unless that we we can take Johnny as just like totally and fully just has has no credibility whatsoever. If we can at least assume he has some credibility. At this point, I'm going to assume. Uh, I, I I think that he he is obviously you know. Uh, habitual exaggerator and I think that he is also you know his his mental state is worsening but I don't think I'm yet comfortable saying that he is totally uncredible I think the people that he knows are real like I think he really does have a job in a tattoo shop I really think that he's met you know he he lewd a man named lewd as his that's his friend I really think that um you know, Thumper exists, and what's her name? Uh, the 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 lady he talks to uh, about the he or he means to talk to about the the German translation. Like I feel like those are real people, or like the people that the people that he talks to that he says like, oh yeah, and I reached out to this person, and they were uh, the they either read to Zampano or they were transcribing his work for the um, for his story. And they were they said this about him. So I guess my thought is Johnny is trustworthy enough that or I feel like I can trust that the people that he's talking about are for the most part people that he has met. Okay, um, but let me let me just contradict everything you just said real quick. Okay. What if Johnny isn't real? 
how do you mean? Like, what if... So, this whole story so far, we're having to trust that it's this man named Johnny Truant who found these pages by a man named Zapano who just happened to die, and he is now giving us these pages as well as his thoughts on them. <laughs> what if that's not actually what's happening here? Like, I don't want to say what if Johnny is Zapano, but what if the author of The House of Leaves and the author of Johnny Truant's interjections are the same person? And I don't mean this as a, it was all Mark Danielewski the whole time. I mean, like, in, in, in the story. What if we're looking at two personalities in one person, one being Zapano and one being Johnny Truant? And Zapano's death, quote-unquote, was not a physical death, it was a metaphorical death. Well, that would go a long way to explain the lack of, uh, the lack of physical trauma on Zampano's person. This is, all, they... this is all thoughts that I have had just trying to figure how Zampano died and the fact that Johnny has a scratch on his neck with the encounter with the creature. This is all mm -hmm. coming from that. I could I be know. so far off. I, like These are just ideas I'm throwing into the ether because it's just thoughts I'm having because that's kind of the point of this, right? I could be very, very wrong. It could come out by the end of the book that both of them are two separate people. And the idea, as we have been uh, presented, is 100% fact. And I'm just talking out of my ass right now. But I do feel like it's a little more fun to think about that as we continue the, the next i think that's an interesting idea but doesn't the well, some of the things that we've already run to run into where they talk about um at least the edit the editors uh they mentioned that i mean I, I i guess it's possible for the editors to also be a fabrication but i think they seem they seem to be in cons at least in somewhat of contact with johnny like they'll they'll they they said that they'll say things like oh we reached out to Johnny for a comment on this and he he declined to to elaborate further or they also mention um go to look at the appendix for like okay this is Johnny's father's um uh what do you call it uh, obituary and then there was also uh letters they mentioned letters that Johnny's mother wrote to him at some point um that's something that i would like to look at later i know I, I i saw that in a footnote and i was like okay well i need to look at that but i i just wanted to keep going so i didn't really look at it at the time maybe i should have but um i don't know i'm, I'm inclined to believe that johnny is real at least within the context of the story you know i think the idea of johnny is real but i'm starting to have doubts about the character of johnny Could be. I think. I think we'll. I guess we'll have to keep going. But I just that is that is an interesting idea that that Johnny does not exist. You've become a Johnny Truther. <laughs> I think I've been a Johnny Falser. <laughs> I guess. I guess that's a better way to put it. A Johnny Falser. Uh, but uh, so I guess if. But if 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 you if your postulation is then that um, Johnny is not real then does that mean does that follow that Navidson and this whole 
thing is not real. Well, we're supposed to be questioning that ever since the introduction of the novel, because Johnny himself is saying that he has no evidence to suggest that any of this is real, that this movie exists, and all that other stuff. Yes, yes, that is definitely true. So we're supposed to have skepticism about Navidson already. Yeah. I guess I guess what I'm saying is yeah that I think is that we're getting back to what my initial question was is like so so you you are saying that you don't think that that any of this uh, the Navidson business none of it happened even within the context of the story. Um, I'm gonna say maybe, but I think it is irrelevant because I think the more important question is, can we truly trust that Johnny Truant and Zapano are real? Cause maybe the Navidson record is not so much a compilation of a very, very niche movie that is so underground that it's basically in the, it's basically in the core of the earth. Uh, but if it's more so a um, not not a metaphor, but I I guess a conduit to tell the story of Johnny Truant's descent into madness, so to say, mm-hmm. Be- because um, we have to we have to concede a lot of conveniences to believe that the Navidson record is real. The biggest one being the fact that a blind man is accurately um, transcribing a visual movie. Yeah, they, they, they do mention that. Um, and that's something we talked about, I think, last, last time as well. It just, I guess my question is then, is this Zampano or Johnny or the person that has created both Zampano and Johnny? How, I guess, is this them giving a backstory, a fictitious backstory to whatever this entity is that is haunting them that, you know, that caused the scratch in Johnny's neck and that, that uh, may, that, that, that killed Zampano, you know, it's like, so how, how does, where does this, this thing come from then? If, if not from, the uh, the the narrative presented in the Navidson record. Mm-hmm. I don't it very know. well could be a um, <laughs> a cursed object, like the 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 House of Leaves is a cursed object, and the person who has or reads the the House of Leaves picks up the curse, kind of like a uh, like the videotape in the ring. Mm-hmm. Like something similar to that, like maybe it's something like that, it's where it's in the narrative though of the ring, the 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 per, the the monster, the ring monster is real, and like things happened to her that created her in such in that way. But that's, I guess it's just like it's not supposed they... to be a one to one. More so, oh, okay. the idea of Fair. the cursed the cursed object, where it's like you watch the tape, you die in seven days. You read the House of Leaves, you're being stalked by this creature. That's fair. That's fair. I guess. I guess it's 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 interesting. It's the it's it's interesting that if if that is the case, um, that you read this this book and it's it's even fictional within the context of the story, um, the the world of the story. 
whatever this this uh, creature is that they created this fake backstory for themselves for you to read, and then you then it it begins to attack you after you've read its fake backstory. Yeah, which I I realize we're spending a lot of time on my uh, my majorly hypothetical theories that might end up being complete bullshit. But I don't know. I feel like it's something worth thinking about at this point. And if I'm wrong, then well, I at least had fun theory crafting. No, I think I I think it was this is good, very good. I I, I think it was an interesting it was a, it's an interesting point. I think that we not to not to do like self crit here in the middle of what we're doing here, but we've talked a lot about the characters and a good bit about the plot, but we've not really done a lot of metatextual thinking, which is or maybe not not a lot, but we we've done some, but it's just like we've not we've not gone into this kind of idea, which is I think a good part of what what uh, your thinking is, what 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 Danielewski is asking you to think about whenever he's uh whenever you're reading uh the house of leaves we definitely picked a hell of a book to start off with yeah in in retrospect i'm not gonna say what the next one's going to be because we've already we've already chosen our next book it's it's this was the how we will i will say the house of leaves was your choice and the next book we're doing is my choice and we've already we've already decided on that and i won't say what it is uh I definitely think my book is going to be a much more casual discussion kind of book where it's just us talking about hopefully how cool the book is. Neither of us have read it, so we'll see. But yeah, we definitely picked a very, very like metaphysical, deep and just uh, intricate book where... I don't think we are supposed to take anything we're reading at face value, and there it, it warrants deep discussions that may not lead to anywhere, just like the hallway. And we're just kind of left scratching our heads, being like, "Well, I don't know. I guess we'll just have to keep going and see." Yeah, I I think that is something that Daniel Levski through um, Johnny has even said a couple of times. Um, I think that's. But I think I think you're right. I think I think we uh, we really jumped into the deep end, uh, starting with House of Leaves. Yeah, but um, I will say uh, one thing that I think has been really great about this, about us doing this, is that re- whether or not it's true, my, that whole theory I came up with, mm-hmm. I only thought of it because we were discussing the book. So if I was just reading it on my own, I don't think I would have gotten to a mindset to where I would consider things like this. Just reading it on my own in my room, just, you know, only with my own thoughts on it. So even if it's wrong, I think being able to talk about it like this with you every week has made me approach it in a very different way and has made me realize things about it in the midst of conversation about it that I may not have picked up on during that read-through, but had to have a step back, one, a different perspective through you, and two, a just kind of global look at it outside of the page to really kind of have some things click for me. So that's really nice. 
yeah, I think I think this has been very good so far. I've, I've really much enjoyed it. Um, one thing I would like to do a little bit, just this is, I guess, a little bit of a peek ahead, is once we finish, I guess, going through the book, and once we finish, kind of, we 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 feel pretty confident about. We can come up with we can whether we have the same interpretation by the end or not. You know, we, whenever we're secure in what we're thinking, that's something I would like to do is like kind of maybe do a little research of what is the the broader reading public. You know, people have read through this book. What is what what are they think is going on? You know, and I would like to see. I would like to compare how wherever we end up um, with what the consensus is, and or if there even is a consensus. And I guess, you know, maybe some, I'd, I'd like to interface with that a little bit. Yeah, with that, I think that marks a, a, a very good stopping point for us for today. We've we've gone on pretty long on what I think is another interesting episode on, on the House of Leaves, to say the least. Yeah, <laughs> I think, I think this is, what, what's funny is to me, sometimes it doesn't feel like we've gotten very far. And I think this is just, the nature of talking about this book is because you can go down these innumerable hallways, if you will. But it's just, it's just like, you feel like you're, it's, I don't know. I feel like we could talk about this book for a very long time, but I think we've, we've actually made some good progress here. Yeah. I feel like this book is the five and a half minute hallway where you read it and you're like five and a half minutes and then you get into it and you're like, Oh, there's like, an endless staircase to, to explore down here. Like, what am I doing? There's an endless staircase, and for some reason, animals can't pass through it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it's just, you know, I, we, we've hit, like, I, I think, ballparking it in terms of, like, raw content. We've hit, like, four hours worth of discussion for this book so far, and it's only 100 pages worth. And even then, we haven't covered everything that's happened in those 100 pages. It's just, it's a very dense book. Dare I say it's the inverse Skyrim. <laughs> it's a, uh, yeah, it is, it is very dense. Um, I don't know. I, I, I don't know how many more episodes we'll be able to, to like if we're doing four, we've got four hours in like a <clears throat> hundred pages and this is 700 pages. Well, I think that there, that starts to get a little bit, I don't know. I yeah. Think, I think, I think we're on the threshold of when we start getting the wonky pages where we're, I, I I think honestly, in terms of raw content, we're probably somewhere in the ballpark of like a third of the way through. That's purely a guess because it is about to condense in terms of how many words we have left in this book and how many pages we have left in this book. Because I, I just kind of did like a where where you just you just um, uh, I, I've just did like a little scan through the pages where I just thumb through the book. And yeah, we're about to hit that point where where we get the weird formats and uh, maybe one or two words on a page. I saw one where it's a literal blank page. So I think our pace through this book is about to exponentially jump up. And I would not be surprised if by next week we're talking about things that have happened on page two or three hundred. Yeah, well, I, I, whatever, wherever we end up landing, I'm looking forward to uh, discussing that again. Yep, I am too. Uh, this has been a lot of fun, and I look forward to doing more of this because this is really, I, I think, one, it's helped me read more like I wanted it to do. 
and two, it's 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 really helped me approach a book like The House of Leaves differently than I would have, like I said. So I think this has been a very very net positive for us. Yes, absolutely. And you know, I'd like to you know thanks everybody that's uh, listening, and um, I guess we will see you next time. Yep. See you next week. <laughs>